This is John Martinka, and my special guest today is Sam Rosati with Pursuant Capital in Tampa, Florida. Sam is an investor and owner of businesses. And Sam, let's start by telling your story of how you got from before this to owning companies. You got it, John. I hope it's an interesting story. Uh, I was a, um, I, I always say I went away to college and picked the first uh, major on the list, which was accounting. And usually that gets a good, a good laugh out of people. But um, honestly, I went away to school thinking I would take the career corporate ladder thing that a lot of people go to college thinking they'll take. I did that for a bit, went and got a, you know, an accounting degree, um, was a big four accountant for a little while after college. And um, that was in the, the financial crisis, right? So everybody kind of took whatever job they could get. It wasn't a great time to be uh, going out and doing entrepreneurial things. So um, I actually parlayed that after a few years at PwC, parlayed that into uh, uh, going to law school at UVA, um, thinking that that would be my best bet into the deal world, uh, becoming an M&A lawyer, which was another what I would call failed attempt at my seat at the M&A table. It was, it was great learning. I worked for a big law firm here in Tampa after law school, um, doing mostly sell-side M&A transactions. But I think um, as a junior lawyer, when you catch yourself spending more time looking at an investment banker, Sims, and trying to understand financials uh, than you do actually reading and drafting deal docs, I think that's when I realized that I was sitting at the wrong seat uh, at the M&A table. Um, so, you know, I would call it after a little bit of dumb luck, stumbling on the search fund concept. Um, I don't even remember where it was, maybe a podcast or a book or something like that. Uh, I kind of took the big leap of faith. My wife was in school still, um, so we weren't really making any money, but I had a little bit of savings and had a good professional network. So I left my M&A law firm gig, started a self-funded, geographically focused search. And five years later, here I am. We own a handful of companies. Um, we've sold two. We've had a great run. We've had a lot of luck. We've sort of taken a lot of bruises on the chin, but it's it's been great. I'm happy to share whatever kind of detail you want. Yeah. Well, Tell me, tell me about the companies that you own or have owned. Yeah. So we started uh, as a self-funded search, right? So kind of by definition, the idea was to go operate and, um, you know, run a company's day-to-day. So we did that. We bought Alpha Dumpsters, a roll-off dumpster broker here in Tampa Bay. Um, you know, I'll kind of save some of the gory details, but it, it's small. It was small. It's a sub 1 million of, of SDE. We got it for a really good price, really good structure, gave us a lot of comfort uh, to go buy a business in an industry we didn't understand at all. Um, we ran it day to day. And I'll, you know, I've shared this on other podcasts. We've been fortunate to exit that business to a, a strategic. So a, um, let's call it a national waste hauling competitor that's uh trying to consolidate space. So that was number one. 
Um, we actually bought a second business at the same time that was in the uh, patio screen door industry. And uh, I think that was four or five businesses ago. So that's where we're at today. I'd say we, so the one thing that's changed is ever since being um, the day-to-day operators of alpha dumpsters, you know, we're, we're really not operators anymore. We've sort of moved to the other side of the table as investors. So I'd say about half of what we do is, is we're independent sponsors, buying and supporting management teams. And then the other half of what we do is we invest and back self-funded searchers. But I sit in an office all day, uh, much easier job than, than being a self-funded search CEO. Yeah, I remember you talking about the uh, patio door company on the uh, live stream that Tony did a few months ago, which is how I became aware of you. So, and it was an interesting story. Thanks, John. So I hope. Yeah. So what did you learn in the uh, accounting and law world that helped you with both deals and operating? Great question. I'd say, you know, account as it, as it relates to accounting versus law, the accounting degree, the accounting knowledge is far and away more important when it comes to running a business. And, and I think that's surprising to a lot of people because the part of search that you read about on the internet is the part that relates to deal making, where you think that you need M&A skills, like financial modeling and drafting letters of intent and closing documents. But I think the secret of search is in what you do once you own a company, not in that sort of initial deal phase. So as it relates to being a successful operator and a successful searcher, far more important to have a good accounting skills because, you know, I would say it's like going to Spain without knowing Spanish. You're not going to be all that functional, maybe. (laughs) So um, if you don't have at least a decent grasp of accounting, it's going to be really hard to understand the language of business. So, you know, people are usually surprised when I say that, but, you know, whatever. Yeah. And. I've noticed over the years that to a lot of companies, especially when it's the founder, the the accounting bookkeeping department is the weak little stepsister off in the corner. Yeah, we have to deal with it, so we do. I'd sooner be playing with the product kind of stuff. So I really understand what you're saying. So um, yeah, it's overlooked. It's tough, but I don't think it takes. You know, accounting is not rocket science. You can learn it on on YouTube these days. Yeah. So what kind of industries do you like and why? I mean, and I don't mean to specific businesses, but do you gravitate towards service or distribution, manufacturing? I'm guessing not restaurants. That's a good question. So I don't think we started out this way, but now after a half a dozen businesses, I think what we've gotten decent at are small blue collar industry businesses. So both product and service. But I think the reason we like that is, is they tend to be relatively simple. So none, none of this is rocket science. Uh, none of these industries are necessarily the most technically oriented. 
So I think for me, that means I can understand them fairly well as an outsider. I think kind of as a, a, a philosophical take on blue collar industries, you tend not to get the sort of genius that you get in software necessarily. And so it, it almost in many ways can be easier to compete. You know, just good sound business practices will usually go a long way. And, and then maybe my own bias is you tend to be able to buy them at a cheaper price. And as much as I'm trying to graduate into the uh, better business at a higher price level, I'm still a sucker for value. And you can still find that in the blue collar industries. Yeah, there, I think there's a lot of people who want something sexy. And uh, I go back many years and an investment banker was telling me and he said, yeah, my dad got rich owning a junk and scrap yard. <laughs> <That's, laughs> that happens. It sure does. And there's not a lot of people that come out of college uh, dreaming one day of being in the blue collar trades. So I like that dynamic a lot. Yeah. Yeah. All the smart people go into software and finance. Yeah. And, you know, as, as long as you can relate to the employees, uh, they're great businesses. Some people get up on their perch and uh, they can't relate. And I've seen some of those horror stories and you probably have too. Yeah, well, I can tell you, I'm not sure I was the best manager of people. Hence why I find myself back in front of a computer, a computer screen every day. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, so we're in the uh, final third of 2021. How has diligence changed for, for you and what you're looking at these days? Compared to, say, what it was like a year two and a half, ago. two years ago? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I, I'd say there's a lot of easy answers, but, you know, the, the ones for us where we start is, you know, go look at the financials and ask yourself if COVID crushed the business in, in a really bad way, is that the kind of business that you want to buy right now with the uncertainty overhanging us? Well, could that happen again? Will a bank underwrite that deal knowing that, a sort of relapse of COVID could hurt the business again. Um, on the flip side, did the business get a COVID bump? Is it truly a bump? Is it sustainable? Do you want to pay up for a business that got a bump and maybe isn't sustainable? So I'd say we start there. Um, you know, so we have a couple of companies that have had a hard time dealing with the supply constraints um, related to COVID. So, you know, whether it's the ability to get supply, um, is it the pricing of supply? Is it, are you able to pass on that, that pricing pressure to your customers? So there's just like, a, there's a lot more questions around sustainability of the P&L that we now dive into as opposed to two years ago when you kind of saw the P&L ticking mm -hmm. up at the rate of inflation or better. And you know, we didn't know what any, any different was. So we kind of just trended that out. So now we ask harder questions. Yeah. Two years ago, supply chain was something people would advise on for internal improvement. Now it's uh, any buyer should be very cognizant of what's going on with the supply chain in that industry and business. Yeah. I mean, I find that searchers that I talk to, <clears throat> while they ask about it, 
when they when they learn of an issue, they don't give that issue proper credit or proper attention because you know there's one thing, one issue when let's say um, cost of your supply goes up twenty percent. It's entirely another if you can't get that product for six months. I talked to a uh, mattress manufacturer, the owner of a mattress manufacturing company last week. He said five incre- price increases this year. And he passes them on because there's nowhere else to get the stuff. That's right. Or he and his customers. That's right. Yeah. Nowhere else to go. So what would be some tips you would give to... Uh, business searchers, business buyers, searchers to keep them on track and grounded? Yeah, that's a loaded question for a a short podcast conversation. I think what I tell them is I'd encourage them with the idea that there are still good businesses at fair prices. I think if you spend a little bit too much time on Twitter, it's easy to reach the conclusion that there are no good deals, that you might as well start a business because at uh, valuations you see on the market today, it's almost like searchers are priced out of the, their own game. And I think I would counter that by saying, if you see enough volume, if you're running a good enough search, you can still get a good business at a fair price today. Okay. Um, And I think the other thing that I see a lot amongst searchers, business buyers is that if you come from a sort of typical white collar business, corporate career, a lawyer, an accountant, a banker, programmer, Searching is easy because you can sit in front of your computer and do it. But you should ask yourself when you're running a business and you're leading employees and your office is a warehouse, just make sure that's what you want to do before you go do it. Because <laughs> I think a lot of people are make, make, trying to make careers out of search mm-hmm. because it feels like mini private equity. But it's, it's harder than that if you're really going to go run a company, operate, lead people. Yeah. You know, operational experience is, is key. Yeah. Agree. So, okay. Anything else on that subject? No, no. I mean, get in the game there. I'll tell you this. I talked to a lot of searchers who are planning, 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 and planning. Just get in the game. Yeah. Go, go, go talk to brokers, make offers, go do site visits, meet owners face to face, get in the game. Cause you can't do this from the sidelines. Yeah. A uh, friend and client of mine just says, have a Nike moment. <laughs> exactly. So you said that, you know, call the brokers. Uh, is that primarily how you found things? Yes. I like to think that we have a great direct to owner channel, but to be frank, it has never, it's led to one deal, but it has taken five years for it took four years for it to lead to one deal. So everything else has been through the broker channel. However, 
you know, we kind of look at the broker channel as, um, you know, it's not a high vault. It is a high volume game, but we have a high touch relationship with a lot of the brokers in our geography. Um, so I'd say we take a, a much more nuanced approach to our broker channel. We spend more time with them. Um, we look at them as our primary source of leads because for us, it's really worked well. That is, uh, that's really good advice, uh, especially with you being geographically uh, uh, centered on where you want the businesses to be versus I'll go anywhere. Um, I have relationships here in the Seattle area with many, many brokers. In fact, I had a deal earlier this year. Uh, broker called me. One of my clients was interested. She never took it to market, never advertised it, never did an email blast, nothing. Got it done pretty quickly without a lot of disruption to the business. A pocket deal, right? Yeah. Semi. Do you have any pocket deals in, in Florida? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I'm afraid I don't. But I do know that, yeah, you know, I think I shared with you in an email that, you know, over half, about half to 70% of com companies sold in a survey by the IBBA and MA, MA source for Q2 this year, the owner said they sold because someone approached them. And it is all timing, whether it's with the broker or with the owner or a referral. It's just, it's a numbers and timing game. It is. And I don't know if bro uh, searchers realize that brokers are spending their half or more of their time soliciting clients, soliciting business owners to sell. Yeah. So in order for a searcher to get a proprietary deal, which is the holy grail in ETA, you've actually got to get ahead of the broker community. And I find that to be an enormous task. So why not look at them as your partners? Yeah. Oh, you have to. Uh, it, it makes no sense to look at only part of the market. You got to look at 100% exactly. of the market because there are some owners that just don't want it listed. They are so afraid of confidentiality breaches. Yep. Agree. So, Sam, any final comments? No. I Look, this, is, this industry of ETA and searchers kind of got me on my entrepreneurial journey. So I love speaking to searchers. Um, I am pretty active on Twitter. So I love to share stories there. Always happy to help however I can. Okay. Well, Sam, I really appreciate your taking the time to do this. For those of you who would like to communicate with Sam, it is sam at pursuantcapital.com, P-U-R-S-U-A-N-T capital.com. And there you will find a way to connect with him on LinkedIn and Twitter. So Sam, again, I appreciate it. And I wish you all the best on future deals. And if I find any in the Tampa area, I will be sure to let you know. <laughs> Only a few thousand miles away. Thanks, yep. John. Okay.